Vegas takes over. Smith comes out to the neutral zone. Deals right. Marcia fires. He scores! Live from the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Smith to Marcia 4-2 Golden Knights. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in. Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215, home of the... And joining us today, special guest co-host Stormy Bonantoni with the Vegas Golden Knights. Stormy, I've been looking forward to this all week long. I'm incredibly excited that you have been so gracious with your time to sit down for two hours to talk a little bit of hockey with me. Stormy, thank you, and how are you today? What a guy. Thank you. No, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for letting me be a part of the show this week. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Although I do have a little bit of a bone to pick with you because I'm looking in the rundown right now and I see home of the woo, but it's spelled home of the who. So maybe we oh, need to have no. Chapman redo you that. Read say, the, you read the show notes? <laughs> I, I, is She's that already, something Darren doesn't do? Yeah, you're, already, you're already a step above him and we're one minute and 42 seconds into the show. But I am also critiquing something, yeah. so maybe I am more like Darren than you guys thought. No, but you read the notes, so that's a start. <laughs> so I, I, I don't. I came yeah, here I'm for a little guys. conflicted. I don't. I don't know how to feel about this, if I'm being completely honest. Because yes, it is a critique, but it also might be something that I've left in the show notes for the longest time, waiting for somebody to pick it up, and nobody has. And yet, you are are sitting in as a co-host for one day, and you've picked up the mistake. It's beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. I mean, it's what I do, Ryan, if I'm honest. No, <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you guys so much for having me. This will be a, a fun couple of days with you. Hopefully I'll be able to hop on uh, again next week too a little bit. So uh, this should be pretty good. Always fun to talk VGK even when they're not on the ice. You know, it's interesting because as we get closer and closer to the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken, I wonder if you are like me where – I find myself getting really excited, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to see how this expansion draft for Seattle differs from Vegas. I'm excited to see what players are available, which players are going to be left unprotected, and what direction from a philosophical standpoint the Kraken are going into this process with. But more than anything, I'm excited as a hockey fan first. Now, with Vegas, I was entrenched. I was working all of those events, so I viewed it in a very different lens. But right now, for me, I'm just excited to see what expansion looks like as a bystander, as someone that's just on the outside looking in. Yeah, for sure. It'll be really interesting, especially, obviously, the deadline for teams to submit their protected lists are, are this Saturday at 5 Eastern, and um, that draft is coming up fast. I think it's only six days away now, so crunch time for a lot of teams to figure out what's going to happen, sort out their rosters, who they're going to leave unprotected and available for the Kraken, and then, like you said, kind of what 
direction is Seattle looking for uh, to piece this team together? It'll be a lot of fun, and I'm just excited to see what the general layout of Seattle is going to be. They're obviously <laughs> in our division. What's that team going to look like? They have some big shoes to fill, which is unfortunate for them in terms of an expansion franchise in general, given what we've seen the Vegas Golden Knights do. Um, but it'll be an interesting process. And for, for me, this is kind of my first time, even though the Golden Knights are on the outside looking in and they're not involved in the expansion draft the way that other teams are. Um, I wasn't working for the team at the time when they first um, yeah. came to be. So this is kind of just a cool vantage point for me to see the ins and outs of an expansion draft and how it all works from the outside. You know, I, I, it's interesting because I, I wanted to get your take on this about Seattle, the team. And this is with a very obvious caveat that they don't have any players. <laughs> but do you think that this team might be able to make some noise in the Pacific Division? If we, if we accept that the Vegas Golden Knights, we believe, are the class of the division, and then there's some teams that kind of fall behind Vegas in, in Edmonton and in Calgary, um, maybe L.A., depending on how they improve internally with, with some of the young, their young players. But do you think that Seattle could potentially make some moves and, and be among the better teams in this division? I feel like this is your way of digging to see if I'll say that the division is bad. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I would never do that. <laughs> no, no. I um, It's, it's definitely... You, you don't know. Like you said, there's zero players on their roster. We have absolutely no idea <laughs> what this team's going to look like, what their overall philosophy is going to be, style of play, culture, all of those things, because they don't have a single building block yet um, in terms of players for their team. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. I, I don't know, but I can't say no. Like, look at all of the videos that the Golden Knights have of all of the naysayers, even after the expansion draft, looking at the roster and saying how bad <laughs> that team was going to be and that there was no hope in the season and, like, what were they thinking in so many instances. Like, Jonathan Marcheseau, even in uh, the interview that he did with Emily Kaplan last month, said you looked at that roster on paper and he said, man, we suck. <laughs> but look at what that team went on to do. <laughs> and they went to a Stanley Cup final, had this historic run. Every step of the way was just incredible and emotional and fun. And like I said, big shoes to fill, obviously, for Seattle. It's a very unfair bar that the Golden Knights have set in terms of expansion franchises in recent history. But who knows? And I, I think that the Golden Knights are a good learning lesson in that sense that you can't judge a book by its cover. And just to take them for what they are, they're an expansion team that's going to be figuring it out, and what do they do? And it'll be fun to watch, particularly because – the division is not bad, but it's not the strongest division in the NHL coming up this season with the way that it's reverted and, and gone back to its more typical, um, you know, lens of the teams that are in it. So there's a lot more opportunity, mm -hmm. I think, for a new team in this division versus some others. Yeah, I think that that point is well taken. In, in terms of this division, I'm not going to go out and say 
it's a terrible division or it's a bad division. I'm not going to undercut uh, a division that the Golden Knights are playing in because, quite frankly, the bulk of what they're going to do next season is going to be within the division. And you want to be able to get better and you want to have have those tests throughout the regular season. And so if the Golden Knights are just out there and we're saying it's it's a bad division, then it's not necessarily going to be something that tests them that much. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. But I do think some of the, the rub or the shine for the Seattle Kraken has to do with what the Golden Knights were able to do in their inaugural season with a roster that, quite frankly, people thought was going to struggle to win games. And I think there's something to be said for getting the right coach, getting the right set of players, and playing to an identity and doing that better than anyone else in the league, there's something about the sum of the, of the parts becoming more than, than what they are. And I think the Golden Knights kind of taught us that lesson that you really can't discount something new simply because they're new and your expectation is that they're not going to be very good. Yeah, and that intangibles and leadership from everywhere and that grit, like that those are real things that make a difference. And uh, yeah, 100%, I think the Golden Knights are just a, a golden example of that when it comes to an expansion franchise and, and what it takes to be able to be good and build a bond among men. So in in terms of this past season, and, and it's been kind of a crazy two years where everything's melded together we we look at kind of last year then the bubble and then getting to a shortened season where the golden knights once again get to uh what would essentially be the conference final for the second year in a row losing in the conference final watching a team led by Corey perry play against the tampa bay lightning and lose in the stanley cup final like it, enough time has kind of passed between Game six against Montreal to where we are now. How do you look back on that series against the Canadians and how it ended this year for the Golden Knights? Well, before I jump exactly into that answer, kind of the beginning of the way you framed that made me think it's crazy for me to believe that I've been with the team two years now and still haven't been through a full like normal season because last year obviously right. was cut right. short and then this year with the condensed uh, game season with I still haven't done a normal 82 game year with the Golden Knights which is crazy because you know I feel like I've been around here for so long but just in terms of general <laughs> reaction to the Montreal series you know and, and the team's year as a whole I mean anytime you make it to the final four it's a successful season but the problem is you're a Golden Knights team who felt like you were this kind of cup or bust group that's the expectation that you've built for yourselves that the, the fans have built up in their minds and you had such a great regular season that it feels like a disappointment. Like we heard all of the players exit interviews um, feeling like a missed opportunity. Um, but this is a year, a team that was only in its fourth year of a franchise. Like who would have ever expected that this would be a problem, that this is even the narrative about a team at all. Like this is something that takes other franchises decades to accomplish and, um, I think the tough part about it and the way that this season ended, specifically against a team in Montreal, that when you got past a Minnesota team in the first round, it made you so much better. And you go play Colorado that feels like the big bear in the division all year long, 
won the president's trophy over you in that tiebreaker scenario and you think you've accomplished so much and that Montreal, given the season that they've had, um, should be a little bit easier sledding than it was. And unfortunately, again, the goals just dried up a little bit. The power play wasn't what you needed it to be. But the unfortunate part, sorry for going in a circle around that, um, is just that this core group this year was so good. We heard Kelly McCrimmon say this is probably the best team that that they've ever had. And they made these improvements personnel-wise, style of play-wise, that they felt like they were they were in that different upper echelon. They, they could get over the hump and win the Stanley Cup this year. And you look at all the work that they did to get Alex Petrangelo, to get certain guys signed, to have Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury work. And, I mean, to play a game at one point with only 15 skaters and you lost that game. But, I mean, boy, what a game it was. is maybe one of their best of the year. Um, yeah, it's just a, a bit of a whirlwind. I know it's super unfortunate for everyone involved that they didn't reach their ultimate goal, but now obviously it's it, the turn, the page turns really quickly. And now all of a sudden it's, you know, the free agency period here and the next season coming up. And what are you going to do to try to make yourselves better and get to that next phase? I just rambled for such a long time, Ryan. Why didn't you jump in and tell me to <laughs> shut up? <laughs> Because I thought that you were making really good points. And, and, you know, <laughs> Don't lie. To, so, so let me let well. Okay, let's like let's unpack it a little bit, right? Like, I don't think that there were a lot of people that expected or or picked the Montreal Canadiens to upset the Golden Knights, and I don't think it's it's speaking out of turn to say that six game loss to the Montreal Canadiens was an upset. I, I don't think that they, there's anyone in hockey that's going to look at the Golden Knights on paper and say that that's what they expected that series to be. But that's what makes hockey so interesting is that sometimes you've got a team in the Vegas Golden Knights that put together four amazingly solid, perfect games against Colorado. And then it, to me, as I, as I kind of turn the page from last season into this offseason, I just think that the Golden Knights kind of, I don't want to say peaked too early, but they put everything they had into that series, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same thing we saw with Montreal. Montreal put everything that they had into a game plan, into the series against the Golden Knights, and I think it left them depleted going into that Stanley Cup final against Tampa Bay. And there's something to be said about having a great team. There's something to be said about having the best team. But you need a lot of things to break your way, and you need to catch opponents at the right time if you are hoping to get to a Stanley Cup final. And I think we saw that in both the good and the bad for the Golden Knights. The good being how they were able to catch Colorado, the bad being how it, how it happened to them the next series against Montreal. Yeah, and that's just another example, too, of why the Stanley Cup is so hard to win because you have to have so many things go right for you at a given time. And, I mean, even in terms of just health of certain players, Alec Martinez talked about it after the season was over. He was playing with a broken foot. Like, he was giving everything that he could. But, like, imagine if a guy like that is at full strength. Uh, Mark Stone doesn't score a point. He yeah. said that he wasn't he wasn't hurt or he wasn't dealing with anything. But even if he, he was, would he admit it? Because he's the captain of this team, and he puts all of that on his shoulders. And 
you know, a lot of things, unfortunately, as you said, just dried up a bit after that Colorado series because you did you you're dead on. I feel like you put so much into that because this is the bear. That's the team that mm -hmm. all year long you've been battling back and forth with that people have been saying you're not as good as and that in game one you lose in an absolute clunker of that series and you feel embarrassed and then you come back and you win four straight games to advance and it's it's a great great story but you're emotionally and physically drained which was a big worry even after the minnesota series going to game seven so they dealt with a lot they gave a lot of themselves this postseason and and like i said kind of going back to that earlier point it's just sad that this group isn't going to be together again and it's kind of the unfortunate realistic side of the business every off season is that there's inevitable change and i i'm sad you know we all get attached to these players and their personalities and the types of guys they are on and off the ice and this blend was so good and they just didn't get to where they wanted to go so in terms of the off season and i don't want to get like too inside baseball here when it comes to what we are expecting or what we're thinking the Golden Knights need to do but historically this has been an organization that has made big splashes in both free agency in the offseason and via trade in the offseason I personally look at the Golden Knights from this year I look at the players they have in the pipeline I look at what they were able to get out of certain players Chandler Stevenson being one of those players uh, in in assuming a role and excelling at it I look at the Golden Knights and I say maybe a little bit around the edges, but I don't think that this right here right now is a team that needs to go out there and, and try to land the big fish. And, and I know historically that's been the case, but for me, I think you can find ways to improve from within. What's your take on what you, your read is on the Golden Knights currently and what you think they might do this offseason? It's a really delicate balance, uh, I think, of wanting yeah. to go out and add without disrupting what you do have, which is such a solid core. But if I'm honest with you, Ryan, last year when Kelly McCrimmon went out and got Alex Petrangelo, like that was a name that was flying around for a really long time that everyone was like, oh, well, wouldn't that be cool if they worked it out? But I don't know how realistic that really felt until he flew out here. I, if, if I'm honest, because again, it was like, you have such a good core. Maybe all you need is a depth guy or like a, a better, a better offensive defenseman. I, I don't think any, at least I personally was not sold on like, oh yeah, the Golden Knights are going to get Alex Petrangelo. They're going to be able to take on that much money. I wasn't, I, I thought it would be cool. I thought it would be great. Did I think it was entirely possible? Not really, but they found a way to do it. And yeah. so if they're able to find a piece that works and make a splash again, like they have every year historically, um, then then go for it. I mean, why not? Could this, they are in this win now type of a feel. They feel that they're just so built to win the Stanley Cup and they've gotten so close and just haven't been able to get there. So what can get you there? Um, so if that's what they elect to do, I could definitely see it happening just because they're so good and smart at maneuvering the numbers like I they uh, over my head uh, let me tell you it's not it's not for me I was not great in algebra <laughs> or anything beyond that if I'm honest with you so props to them but I like where your head's at in terms of kind of the small tweaks and 
from a depth standpoint, what can you find? Um, like where, where do you, I mean, is there a certain area specifically that you're targeting? Is it like a, a stronger third line guy, like maybe a Yanmark type of a player, but who's a little more pricey? Like, what are your thoughts there? So for me, I, I, we did a bit of an exercise where the the rules were uh, levied to us by Darren Millard. We had to utilize players that Big were rule within guy, the guy, Golden Knights system currently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and then we, like I made the I made the determination that I'd bring back Matthias Janmark. I think he's a, a utility type of player. He can play in so many different situations. He can penalty kill. He can be on the power play. He can play up or down your lineup. Like I I like the idea of Matthias Janmark fitting in with this team and having a legitimate chance to to do it with a training camp and a full regular season. Now that being said, I I do think that there's something to be said for giving your young guys an opportunity to play and grow and develop in the NHL playing meaningful minutes. So I I looked at it as as getting Peyton Krebs into the lineup, getting Cody Glass mm-hmm. into the lineup. And and where I chose to go was making a a third line or creating a third line that would be more or less a shutdown line that could still find ways to score if they had those opportunities. That line for me was Yanmark with Carlson and Riley Smith. I think those three players defensively could be an absolute nightmare okay. for everyone else to play against. And then a fourth line for me was was Cody Glass um, with, uh, with, with Nick Waugh and Keegan Colsar. And, and I look at, at those three players as players that have offensive upside, as players that, that can chip in a little bit more than what they gave you last year. Coles are in and around the offense all the time. Cody Glass can help you on your power play. I think it's just about trying to philosophically create uh, more defined roles for certain lines and looking at ways of creating more offense out of your bottom six. I like so much of that. The one name, though, that really confuses me, though, is having Cody Glass as a fourth liner. It just sounds wrong. But he has to prove himself. I I think that's been made pretty clear. And you're absolutely right with that. And and I'll I'll give you kind of another nugget to what I was thinking in terms of my lineup. So I had Peyton Krebs up on the top line, or not top line, what? I had on the second line with Max Pacioretty. <laughs> yeah, second line with Max Pacioretty and Alex Tuck. So what I, what, what I was looking to do was create more balance. My top line was, uh, was Jonathan Marcheseau with Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone. So I created what I thought was a very balanced lineup. And for Cody Glass being on the fourth line, my thought process is Cody Glass, fourth line it's not a fourth line that you that you are are worried about playing or you're trying to to protect a whole heck of a lot I want that fourth line playing somewhere in the ballpark of 9 to 10 10 to 11 minutes a night because I think that they can score and then on top of that Cody Glass is going to be on your power play so in terms of what his minutes would look like I'd say somewhere in the ballpark of 14 15 if you can get depending on how many power plays you get but I think allowing him to grow in that role and looking at Tampa Bay with Tyler Johnson on the fourth line and chipping in and finding ways to score, uh, that balance, that depth can really pay dividends, especially if you get a confident player throughout an 82-game season. It's an interesting thought process and conversation for sure. And for Cody, you're right about the power play, and I think he's a player who – 
really needs confidence to play well, and that's an area of his game on the power play where we've seen he has success. He he just seems to have really good awareness there. If he's in that camp out in front of the net roll, he's able to find the holes there too. So I, I like the thought process behind it. It's different. I'll give you that. But I, I also <laughs> like the top nine discussion, though, the kind of the way that you weaved in uh, – I, Krebs with Pacioretty over there and Marshy on the top line with mm -hmm. Stone and Stevenson. I it's an interesting conversation. It's a I, I like those combos a little bit more than I anticipated. I gotta be honest with you, Ryan. You know what? Maybe we can entertain. We've got some time the next couple of days. Maybe we can we can uh, give you the same assignment. And see what you come up with. In yeah, terms of, I would like uh, that. A, a I'll give that a go. That's a little bit. That's a little bit different but at the same time utilizes a lot of what Vegas already has, it kind of goes to show you that in terms of a big fish, I don't necessarily know that it's something that needs to happen. If it does, great. Yeah. If you're looking at, at, at adding someone that, that is, is just so far and above a fantastic player, okay, I get it. I understand it. But I also think the building blocks for what this team is and what they can become and ultimately getting to their ultimate goal, I think they're there. And you might just need some improvement from players that are already within your system. You might need a Keegan Colasar and a Nick Waugh and a Cody Glass and a Peyton Krebs to take the next step. I think that's possible for Vegas. Yeah, and I mean, Keegan Colasar, look at the strides he took. For whatever reason, he's a guy that even though he didn't have the goal-scoring production I know that he wanted and would like to have, he was always in the right places he you can see why management likes him and you know didn't want to put him out yeah. on waivers or anything like that because he just has this awareness that's kind of sneaky a little bit and Nick Waugh the development he's had a lot of those areas I agree with and defensively this team has been talking about their young D-men forever. Zach Whitecloud growing in the system. Nick Haig, um, Dylan Coughlin saw time. He obviously has a lot of areas where he's trying to grow and get better. But if you're focusing on development, you've got that there. And if Alex Petrangelo can start a season the way that he finished it um, after having grown in the system with the Golden Knights, I think you're in pretty good shape in a lot of areas. That is the voice of our special co-host today and tomorrow, Stormy Bonantoni with the Vegas Golden Knights. We've got a lot more to get to here on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. We're going to try to explain hockey to aliens. That's coming up next right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Thursday, setting the tone, setting the I, mood here. I feel like we need to be meditating right now. Oh, you know, boy, I, you guys are kids. I think, I I mean, listen, this isn't my first pick in terms of music for alien-specific things, Chapman. Like, no. it's good, it's fine, but it's not necessarily where I would have gone. Where are we going to go uh, with, E.T.? That's our UFO music? It's yes. the X-Files. Yeah, oh, that's, okay. That's the X-Files. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, I no. did watch like, that as I, a kid with my mom. <laughs> I would have gone like Unsolved Mysteries. You know what? I, I have you know that, I mean? actually. Or, I, 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 You know what? I, do I, you? Yes. I, I put That was going to be our rejoin for a, a different segment, but let me, let, me, let me grab it. I have Fantastic. it. Fantastic. 
Oh yeah. man, I was about to say opportunity. No, well, I mean, you don't, missed. you don't, you don't have to blow it out right now. Well, no, like, I realize we have Sam and Ash coming bit. up next, so I won't have rejoin music for the second segment. So mm. here we oh, go. Man. Well, that's fine. Ooh, yeah, yes, we're talking aliens. Just <laughs> feels creepy. Have you ever wondered it's if no... an alien would learn <laughs> about the NHL? Find out tonight so, on Unsolved Mysteries. You know it's the silly season. You know that we're kind of in that that period of the off season where. We're looking ahead. We're waiting for the expansion draft, the entry draft, free agency. But enough time has passed from the awarding of the Stanley Cup. There's not a whole lot to get into. And so the NHL earlier today put out a tweet that I think is just fantastic for this period of time in the offseason. And here's the tweet. It's simply a question. If you had to explain hockey to an alien from outer space, how would you do it? Stormy Bonatoni, you brought this to my attention early today, so I cannot wait to hear exactly how would you describe hockey to an alien from outer space. So, I mean, I have a lot of questions. The first thing I thought when I read this was, okay, well, like, what does the alien already know? Does he speak English? Does he have some sort of a translating system? Um, oh, and if I'm meeting yeah. an alien, I, I got to be honest with you, I love hockey, but I don't know if this is the first discussion topic I'm having with a with an alien from outer space. I have a lot of, like, why is your head shaped that way? Do you breathe <laughs> air? What do you breathe? Where are you from? Tell us about your world. You know, all of these very important questions uh but in terms of hockey i, I kind of want to go layer by layer <laughs> and i'll see what you guys think <laughs> i've clearly thought a okay. little bit too okay. much about our this. planet has been observing your puny species <laughs> since your planet was created five thousand <laughs> years ago chris that's amazing so, um i listen first and foremost i'm kind of with you if i met an alien and it was the first time that i met an alien I'm not sure that hockey would kind of be the first place I'd go in terms of what I'd want to talk about. Uh, I'd probably be more interested in space travel how and really like wormholes. That would probably be where my mind goes. And then the other thing would be, how are you among us? Because I'm sure you are like, it, it, right? Like, it just, yeah, like, are know, you a predator? Kind of, are you going to try to eat freak us? Me out. Yeah. Like, this yeah. Is, those are, are you friendly? Or do you? <laughs> Yeah, so, okay, go, go ahead, layer by layer, let's see it. So first off, I wanted to, I was trying to think of how I would explain, like, an ice skate. Um, and I was like, <laughs> okay, like, so they, they go on, there's a pond, but the pond, the water is inside and it's frozen. Do you know what frozen, it's ice. I don't know if you've heard of ice before. It's very cold to the touch. <laughs> I will show it to you. Um, and they skate on it. And he'd be like, well, what's a skate? If he were to, this is alien speaking, what's a skate? Well, it's like yeah. a little knife attached to the bottom of a shoe. Um, and then he'd be like, well, what's a shoe? And I'd be like, well, it's like a cloth that you put over your feet, but what's a foot? And it would just get into all these, I don't know, it would just be really hard. Like this conversation, even if he spoke English, would be really, really challenging to have. So I would explain knives are, are very dangerous. They can cut you, and then hopefully I'd, under, I'd, I'd have an alien that's at least a bit familiar with how to cut things. Um, I don't know. Probably not. But uh, I think, like, in that situation, 
if if the aliens here on Earth, it has to be fairly advanced in in terms of intelligence, right? Like we have to assume that the ability to move from wherever they were to where we are right now. It, the technology involved would be far superior than anything we've ever come up with as a human species. So I would imagine that they're very advanced. I would imagine, and I'm just going to say for the sake of argument, this alien does understand what a knife is. Their question would be, why on earth would people put knives on their shoes to skate on ice? Uh, what would you, And what would your answer be? How would you explain that? Well, I would explain it as simply it's fun. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, if you were asking me, like, why why would you play hockey? It's really fun. It rules. It's such a cool game. Um, I, I, I would say that you put the knives on your shoes to skate on a frozen pond because it's the closest thing that you can really feel as a human on the ground to what it's like to fly. Like when you are moving on the ice and you kind of catch that that perfect stride where everything's moving in the right direction and, and you have that, that balance of energy and you're on your edges, it feels like you're flying. And I think that to me is, is the reason why you skate. It's the reason why you play hockey. There are a couple. I'm, I'm looking at um, the responses from to the NHL and the Edmonton Edmonton Oilers got in on this and they said their first thing they put is knife <laughs> shoes. So I feel like I was on track here, which is cool. Um, but they put knife shoes, rubber disc, L-shaped tool for hitting rubber disc into cage, neat mittens. <laughs> <laughs> that is their explanation of hockey. And then the hockey news responded with it and said, you know those things caused by the tiny specks of dust from space that burn up 65 to 135 kilometers as they plunge at terrific speeds into the atmosphere? You may call it a shooting star. We call it a Connor McDavid. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, People are a lot better at this than me. <laughs> how, would, how would you explain goaltenders? Um, skinny in shape men that look <laughs> like sumo wrestlers based on their appearance based on their gear that's around them they're padding um and they have the little uh, rubber disc flung at their faces for fun to protect the cage okay here's my thought on goaltending and then chapman i want you to chime in here after this um so I said the objective of hockey is easy, but so much is left to chance. This is me speaking to the alien. And then there's goaltending. Goaltending <laughs> likely needs its own day of exploration. It's voodoo at times. Most of the time, if a team is good or a team is bad, it can be reduced to answering a simple question, was the goalie good or bad? I, I can't really get into all the times you watch a hockey game and you say that team is so good why are they losing one to nothing without going back and saying they got goalied and trying <sighs> to explain that concept to an alien who who would i imagine expect things to be as they should be i think that might give them kind of a, a really massive intergalactic headache what's funny is like <laughs> I, I'm just I'm 
all in my head about this now. I, I think that I've thought too <laughs> deeply into this topic um, because I think a goal, I think an alien, all they would have to do is watch one game and they might know. They might, you know, I don't even think it would take a full day because they could figure it out on their own with their high intelligence just by watching one game that was like that. Where they're like, oh, yeah, they got goalied. I could just see it. I could just see this green little man <laughs> just laughing with you. And you'd be like, oh, I get it now. Like, all it took was 60 minutes of watching hockey. <laughs> there Chapman, we go. Yeah. Chapman, I have a question. Yes. If, 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 you could, if you could show or explain to an alien what the, the pinnacle of hockey is, is there a game in your mind that you would show them? Well, I would avoid showing them any games that the New Jersey Devils played between, say, 1994 <laughs> and 2003. Because twelve, but yeah, yeah, even longer. A lot of people will call that anti-hockey. I think I think you call it anti-hockey. Yes. Yeah. So so yeah, I would avoid sure showing them. You know what? I would show them maybe some of the games from the Detroit Red Wings from the early 2000s, maybe a little further back. The teams that were just loaded, Iserman, Fedorov. I mean, those teams were just so fun to watch, except when they played the Devils. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the, to me, those are like the quintessential. Maybe, maybe go back and watch the Penguins when they had Lemieux and Yager. Like, maybe not specific games, but specific teams. Because to me, growing up, watching those Penguins teams, and, and they were just so good for so long, so many mm -hmm. great players. Yeah. I mean, it was just so fun to watch, right? Like, you watch one of those games, you're like, all right, these are the teams that you want to watch. You don't want to watch the New Jersey Devils from 1994 <laughs> to 2012. Chris, I feel like Ryan so, and I have been talking so much, though. I need you to continue. I need to know how you would explain <laughs> how you would explain the game of hockey to an alien. If he approached you, he's like, hey, Chris, what's going on? What is this thing with the stick and the crop circle shaped uh, item? What is that? <laughs> crop circle shaped item. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I don't know how much of how much of uh, Star Wars the the aliens would have watched, right? Because I'm I'm thinking it's like trying to explain that. How Chapman, a, they lived it. Yeah, they it's like it's it. like having Chewie explain that chess game that they played back in in uh, you know A New Hope, <laughs> and you're trying to figure out, and then Han Solo says, you know, a Wookiee won't rip your arms out when or, or what is it? A Wookiee will rip your arms out if you lose. So yeah. To me, that that's kind of how it would be. Having them explain that game to me would be like me trying to explain the game to them. I I honestly couldn't do it. I'd just say, you know what? Sit down, grab a grab a bucket of popcorn, grab a couple beers, and watch. <laughs> grab a couple beers. Watch and learn, friend. my friend. Yes. <laughs> can can they? You know, I I I think that that for me, like if I was legitimately trying to to answer this question to the to the alien, like if they came to me and said, "Hey, what is hockey?" I would play them the the Western Conference Final Game 7, 2014, between the LA Kings and the Chicago Blackhawks. That was, in my opinion, one of the greatest games ever played. You have overtime, you have back and forth, you have lead changes, you have two teams at the height of their power. To me, I think that the best way to show or explain an alien uh, uh, what hockey is, is to show them a pretty awesome game. That's how I'd go. That's how I'd do it because and and then I, you would show them and then you would things. show them game seven two years ago and have them be completely confused all over again. <laughs> After you showed them like this fantastic game, then they'd be like, "Wait, whoa, 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 slow down." <laughs> but but like, isn't that isn't that kind of doing them a service? Like, 
aren't all hockey fans kind of living in a perpetual state of, of questioning everything and un, and not knowing what's going on? Because things just sometimes in this sport don't make any sense. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I wonder, I know we have to go to break here, but I wonder if the aliens have sports of their own that they could in turn teach us after we show them these incredible games and these incredible athletes. Like what, what would an aliens sport be? Pod racing. It would be hockey, but with space. No, yeah, it would be like hockey with spaceships. It would be like water polo, sort of, but with <laughs> spaceships. Sign me up, coach. <laughs> All right. So we just explained the age-old question of what you would do, how you would describe hockey to an alien. If you have a better idea or you want to just get at us to let us know how you would do it, hit us up on Twitter, at RyanHockeyGuy, at Storm Bonantoni on Twitter. Uh, we'll read some of your your uh, your, your highlights and yes. later on in the show to just kind of get an idea of how you would explain it to an alien. But when we come back, we've got the Legal Minute with Sam and Ash right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. It's time for the Legal Minute with Sam and Ash on the VGK Insider Show. It is time for the Legal Minute with Sam and Ash of Sam and Ash Injury Law. We head out to the phone lines, bring in both Sam and Ash this week. And once again, I have to point out, Darren Millard is absent because he decided he wanted to go to Tokyo and spend some time at the Olympics. I personally think that's rude. I don't know where you guys fall on that. But I'm just going to say right now, I'm happy for the opportunity to just speak directly to both of you guys today and for the next couple of weeks because that is how we roll. We are now a trio with Darren on the side. <laughs> We're a tricycle. Let's, let's do this thing. All right, fantastic. So when, when you look at, and before we kind of get into the topic, I do want to take a minute to talk just a little bit about Vegas in general and the weekend that was last weekend you had on on the same night Saturday Conor McGregor, McGregor Dustin Poirier that that trilogy fight at T-Mobile Arena and you had Garth Brooks at Allegiant Stadium really a marquee night for Vegas and, and one that made me feel like everything was was really trending in that direction of, of normalcy. Yeah, absolutely. I think along with those two events, we had some others going on. We had some big music performances, and I think USA Basketball was even playing, if you can call it that. But yeah, <laughs> Vegas definitely feels like the events are back and we're here. It was bumping. Yeah, it really was. And, and I think that it's nice to see that as we kind of, you know, continue without hockey season. We're not having those daily uh, you know every every two days event so it's nice to kind of get bigger events to come through town but speaking of that conor mcgregor fight uh as we all know conor broke his leg in the octagon at the end of round one in that trilogy fight against dustin poirier today conor mcgregor comes out and and is essentially saying that the ufc dana white doctors knew that heading into that fight Connor had some stress fractures that he wasn't maybe a hundred percent healthy fit to get in the cage. What do you make of the comments today from Connor McGregor? Well, it's wow. I mean, if it's true, he probably shouldn't have gone to the fight. It's going to be interesting to see who it was that wanted, I mean, to fight right now. He's trying to make it sound like, you know, I, you know, I had some reservations, but they wanted me to fight anyway. But if, I mean, I, I knowing 
a little bit about him. My guess is he really wanted to fight, and and I'm so I think if he basically said I want to fight, I'm okay, and the doctors cleared him, that's kind of the the end of the story. Ash, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's all about risk. These these fighters, they're under a contract, and the stress fractures are kind of unique. They're these little things that most people have and they don't know about, and so. My, I mean, I had one in basketball on my shin similarly, and I had to make a decision. Do I continue to play or do I sit out? And look, I continued to play. And that was a risk that I chose to take as an athlete. And here, Conor McGregor's doing the same thing. I, these comments to me are really just trying, from my perspective, shutting down any indication that he was injured as a result of anything Poirier did. You know, Conor McGregor's an ego guy. Shocking, I know, right? Um, so I think he wants to say, look, this, had nothing to do with Poirier. He didn't hurt me. I was hurt coming in, and it just was wear and tear, and that's it. And I'll see him in the fourth round of this. Well, what I, I think is interesting, though, is these are pretty lofty accusations from Conor McGregor. Is there anything that the UFC can do in this situation uh, to kind of get Conor to back off of this? Because it's not, if, if true, or if you kind of believe them to be true on face value, it's not a good look for the UFC. The UFC would come out with their own doctor statement or own, like they would come out and, and rebuke it and say, this is not true. But will they? No. I think, you know, UFC thrives on publicity, good or bad. I mean, we're all talking about it. I think the UFC, this is good for them. And yeah. as crazy as it sounds, it's, it's, they're getting everything <laughs> that they would want out of this. The fight is still in the news. Uh, it's still relevant. It's being set up for a for a rematch at some point down the road after after McGregor heals up. So I think Ashley's 100 percent right. And and Conor McGregor right now is in a fight to stay relevant while he heals. And so how does he stay relevant if he can't get in the octagon? He fights about the people that run the octagon. So right now it's Conor versus Dana White and the UFC, and it's all going to play out. And it's going to keep Conor relevant. It's going to keep the UFC relevant. And then we'll see a fourth round come back and. The pay-per-views will be higher than before, and, and it's going to be – this is – Conor McGregor is an entertainer all the way through and through, and he will never stop. Now, when, when fighters get hurt like this, is, is kind of the medical treatment left up to them, or does the UFC legally have to take care of their fighters in this situation? Well, I don't know what the – I don't know if they – of course they can't they can't force somebody to go in and, and get hurt or they, they, they probably have some, some, you know, standard of, I wish they let people fight, but I don't think, I don't think that they're, I don't think they have legal exposure here for this because as long as McGregor knew about this and his doctor had told him about it, he made a choice to go in and fight the fight. Right. So it's, and this is really important. This, this translates, into our regular lives, right? You and I, what we deal with day to day, there's something called assumption of risk. And we do, if we do assume certain risks, then, then we, that's a defense uh, to any claims that we may bring for, for injuries that we sustain. And going off what Sam said, the unique thing would be is if the UFC knew he had these stress fractures and never told Connor. Like if they did a medical evaluation, they did scans of him and they had reports showing these uh, fractures let him get into the octagon without him knowing of them then he's making uh, he's just he is not able to assume the true risk when he steps in there he has no idea of what he's facing then that would be an interesting lawsuit 
But that's not what's going on here. This is just a case where a fighter got into the ring and he assumed his own risks. And as a result, and he gambled and lost. And I mean, this town's used to it. It, it, We've seen injured fighters get in the ring before, back with Ali and Holmes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the profession, right? You go in, this is what you choose to do for a living. There is, is inherent risk involved. But, you know, the, the thing that I always found interesting, or I found interesting about this fight, particularly after the fight was over, was uh, the, the beef, the, the hatred between Dustin and Connor, and the implication made by Dustin Poirier that, Whether it's in the octagon, whether it's in the streets, there will be another fight. Uh, What what would happen if they ended up fighting outside of a sanctioned fight? What could they be held legally responsible for? Well, like in the parking lot? Uh, you know, maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe anywhere. Maybe the Salmon Ash parking lot should be the next uh, venue in Vegas. <laughs> I'm with you, Ryan. It sounds interesting, but these two guys—they're not throwing any punches without getting paid for it. Absolutely. So, so, I mean, like, yeah. let's Absolutely. be real. They—they're—they're they're businessmen. They're entertainers. <laughs> they're not going to—they're not engaging in any combat if there's not a sponsorship deal or any type of endorsement being uh, lining their pockets at the end of the day. You know, I, I don't disagree with you, I, especially when you kind of consider what this whole this whole argument or this whole idea comes back to Conor McGregor and, and his his fight to stay relevant, as you, you pointed out earlier, Ash. It, it really is about trying to maximize that next payday, trying to maximize that next UFC event. And so while, again, I, I think that there's a lot that goes into trash talk within combat sports. This isn't a situation where I, I definitely, I, de- I necessarily think that there's going to be a brawl in in the parking lot between these two the next time they square off. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't. I don't see it. Uh, I think it's it's all about the money. Connor wants paid. And you know Ashley's a huge any- Connor fan, so this is coming from someone who. Uh, you are. I know I am. I think he's brilliant. I mean, I I arguably <laughs> said Connor put UFC really on on the map for a lot of non-MMA fans. I watch UFC because of him and, and, and personalities similar to him. Is it the fighting style, or is it really just kind of how he's able to promote his fights? Oh, it's the promotion. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know anything yeah. about fighting styles. I didn't, <laughs> I'm about the guy that's got a leg broken that's sitting on the floor of the octagon still talking trash. Like, that's awesome. Like, from just a pure entertainment perspective that is fantastic and that's what fans cling to i mean look i know he was probably going to lose if the fight continued but it was beautifully entertaining watching him still talk trash to poirier despite his leg being in multiple pieces ashley likes trash talking and blood and guts (laughs) (laughs) there it is and if anyone listening to this has any questions or they need a lawyer how can people get in touch with you guys Super easy. Call us anytime, 702-820-1234. That's our our main number. Uh, We answer 24-7. Ashley and I take calls on the weekends, at nights. If you've got an emergency, give us a call anytime, 702-820-1234. And you can also go to our website, samandashlaw.com. 
Sam and Ash, thank you guys for joining us here. This has been the Sam and Ash Legal Minute. If you need a lawyer, give them a call day or night, 702-820-1234, or visit them online at samandashlaw.com because you deserve what's right. This has been the Legal Minute with Sam and Ash on the VGK Insider Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash. Visit them at samandash.com because you deserve what's right.